Hello, everyone, and welcome to STG's Sports and Esports Technology Podcast. On today's episode, we are joined by STG's CEO and co-founder, Gary Boddington, to talk about 2019's transformative tech in the sports industry. We hope you enjoy this episode of The Gauge. Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Claire Robinson. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we welcome back Sport Technology Group's very own co-founder and CEO, Gary Boddington. Gary previously joined us to talk about the growing world of blockchain and sports, but today we will look at the top sports tech trends of 2018 and where those trends will take us in 2019. Gary, our resident blockchain expert, has been immersed in both sports and technology for over three decades. Gary has been an athlete all his life and at his prime competed at the 1996 Atlanta Olympic Games on the South African field hockey team. He was an early adopter in the world of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology and was a pioneering member of Canada's first publicly listed blockchain company. He combined his passions to co-found Sports Technology Group in early 2018. We're super excited to have him here today. Please welcome Gary Boddington. Thank you, Claire. I hesitate to call myself a blockchain expert. I don't think anybody in my family does. So thank you <laughs> You're very welcome. So 2018 was a pretty exciting year for sports tech. Um, can you talk to us a bit about where you think how the year went for the industry as a whole? So it's quite difficult to um, express it in any uh, brief terms. So I mean, if I, if I were to pick one term probably be fascinating um, and given that we've been kind of looking at the sports and the esports sector at the same time so we come from more of a traditional sporting background but we've spent a lot of the last year a lot of 2018 um, focusing on the esports sector as well and the, uh, I think the interesting part really was around the difference the demographics that are participating in the two respective sectors and the dynamics that are going on in the two sectors as well. So in the sports side, it's very clear that it's it's an older generation, very kind of technology shy type of organizations, very technology shy demographic that are, are the executives within the organizations. They're faced with some interesting uh, trends within the organizations as in dwindling viewership or dwindling sponsorship or um, in fact, lack of or dwindling number of bums in seats, visitors to stadia, um, or, or what it might be. Um, whereas on the other side, the um, the esports side, it's a much younger generation, uh, and they they it's a very different dynamic. They they've got rocketing viewership, um, uh, rocketing sponsorship. There's money flowing into esports, so it's a very interesting dynamic, but I think what's clear on both sides that we've discovered in, in what we've been doing over the last 12 months and certainly I would expect it to continue into 2019 um, is that there's a there's a growing awareness of technology in, in sport um, and the need to invest in technology in sports and, and an increasing awareness or recognition of how important technology can be to make a sports organization or a sports team or an individual athlete for that matter um, more competitive more competitive as well and that's and I think we've seen it in all areas so, so there's no no I mean you can pick an acronym whether it's IOT or AR or VR or whatever it might be there's a growing awareness of all of those elements that, and 
how they are going to have an impact on sports organizations. Um, and, I, and I think certainly what we've seen, uh, what we saw in 2018 and what I think will continue to happen is in 2019 is it's, it seems to be more focused around front of house type of technology. So very much a lot of technologies are focused on fan engagement or stadium optimization and the interrelationship between those issues and whether that, that uh, your ticketing processes or your, um, your fan interaction processes in stadium or your purchasing of merchandise or how your merchandise or your memorabilia can be more interactive and those types of things. But I, I also think there's more awareness of how technology can actually play uh, a role in back of, back of house, back of office type of um, solutions. And I, and I think what we definitely saw in, in 2018, and I definitely expect it to continue into 2019, is, a, is an enormous increase in, um, uh, in investor VC money coming to the market. So largely driven by esports, um, but, but there's a lot of high net worth um, individual athletes in North America and in Europe that are, are interested in technology and are seeing the, um, the growth the trajectory of technology in sports and are starting to stand up and um, and invest in that area and that I think is driving uh, this in, the, the increase in investor the increase of volume of, of investment cash um, I think is driving the number of technology deals that are coming to the market now whether it be in any of those um, any of the specific sectors or whether it be front of house or back of house so um, yeah I think I think Definitely, what's what's clear for us uh, working on both the esports uh, and focusing on the esports side, and working on the traditional sports side, is that that the esports sector is going to drive uh, the adoption and transformation of sports, um, or, or drive technology into uh, transforming uh, esports, and and I think that will in turn drive the more traditional sports to adopt as well. And I think it's clear it won't happen the other way around. Traditional sports are not going to drive esports, but esports is certainly going to drive um, the adoption of technology, which will transform the sports sector as a whole, including both sports and esports. So all in all, in all, very fascinating year, fascinating times ahead in 2019. So that's a really good point about sports or esports driving what's going to happen in traditional sports and I think one of the things that esports is doing really well is um, giving the younger generation the millennial generation access to uh, all of the games and all of the tournaments and all of um, kind of back behind the scenes player streaming and everything um, and they're doing this through the Twitch platform um, which could be considered over-the-top streaming or OTT streaming. Um, we had some pretty exciting developments uh, happen in the traditional sports world over the past year. Um, do you think that that was something they were taking from esports? Do you think they already had that on the horizon? Um, what do you think about traditional sports adopting this OTT platform methodology? Can you speak to that at all? Um. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's a. I think there's a whole range of views I have on that, and, and certainly a whole bunch of things we've seen. And again, what I, I think will continue um, throughout the course of 2019 and beyond. So um, one of the things that we've spoken about a lot is immersive fan experiences, um, and whether you're talking about smart stadiums or, or 
augmented reality and capturing the young demographic and really what OTT um, uh, what OTT is, is capturing is it's not really capturing it's just uh, addressing that young demographic um, and if you think about it again in the context of of traditional sports versus esports um, all, all competitive sports participants right now whether it's esports or, or sports are in that in that demographic which is 15 to 25 and that's not going to change as we all continue to age in in our particular sports and in the industry that demographic will never go away and, and the reality of right now is that that's a demographic that has has grown up they they won't know cable um, so i've i've lived through the transition of terrestrial terrestrial television to cable television and i am the generation that will be a cord cutter but you guys are not you never you will never have a cable and, and so that's just the reality of what's going on and i, and I think the it's very clear in esports that I mean, it's 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 almost the, the the analogy that we've used a lot this year is the the transition from blockbuster to Netflix. If you're going to go out and you're going to rent yourself a video, you're not going to jump in a car and go down the road to a blockbuster um, and try and get a title that's not on the shelf on that day because there only have two available. You just rent it for nine ninety nine or whatever it is, and you and you get access to as many titles as you like. And there's artificial intelligence around that, which actually makes suggestions and selections for you. So that's really the, that's the era that we're living in so to think cable tv um uh, and it has an impact on, on on how sports organizations think about how they get to those markets so uh to use an example if you think of the in, in, in the nhl where you've got the vegas knights um they they have done some very creative things since they since the inception of that franchise which is only in their second season now, and they're fortunate that they they live in a city that, and they're surrounded by artists and and people that can actually they can change their their product on the front end every single night or every single day. Um, but in other in other tr more traditional franchises that don't have access to that type of artistic talent or don't have that sort of they don't live in the Vegas type of environment, it's very difficult to refresh your product on the front end. Whereas in esports and with Twitch and, and streaming, it's it's refreshed every single day. It's refreshed hourly, and you've got influencers that are refreshing content, and they they make it interesting. They make it. Uh, I mean, to, if you look at some of the guys involved in esports, that they'll, they'll stream something, they'll get over more than half a million people watching a stream for for a couple of minutes, for a couple of hours, whatever it is, and that's that's just where it is right now. So the OTT to me, it's it's just an evolution in history. It's not. I know there's a lot of people that are that are still kind of stuck on that model, but it's in five or ten years' time we'll look back and we'll maybe we'll laugh about the fact. Maybe cable will still be around. Who knows where it's going? I, I don't pretend to be a specialist on the subject, but um, it's clear. It's very clear. It's very apparent that we are moving on in history, and and things are changing. And those that refuse to change are face face risk to the to the business models um, and face being um, disintermediated from the from the industry. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, you know, speaking as a millennial, we don't have you're right, we don't have cable. Um, and for these traditional sport organizations like ESPN and the NFL putting Thursday night football on Twitter, for them to recognize 
that we are not we're not purchasing their cable channels so they're not getting revenue from us that way um, they're gonna have to come up with other creative ideas to get us to actually watch their game um, and another thing is that it's not you know there, there's a lot of talk about how the demographic watching sports is aging and it's not capturing the young demographic um, it's not that we're not interested in a football game or a hockey game. It's everything around it that um, I would say is just at a lower level than it is in something like eSports. In eSports, the actual game is, yes, could be argued a bit more exciting, but it's the lead up. It's the back end stories behind the players. It's all of the content um, behind the scenes that you're getting. It's the content. It's the post-show content. They do a better job of just capturing your attention as a whole. Um, so it's, yeah, it's something that esports are doing really well and, and hopefully traditional sports will continue to recognize the importance um, of OTT streaming to capture the young generation because we just, we don't have cable. But I think that's part of the challenge is if you are more of a traditional franchise, your viewership, your audience is not, they're not, they're not on streaming. Um, so how do you get to them? And they can't just drop that audience that's built their franchise over the last couple of decades. So that's they're in a catch-22 situation. So it's almost like the esports world doesn't have the legacy issues of an audience that doesn't understand technology, or the audience they need their audience to move onto the streaming, but the, the audience, their audience, is too old or too uh, they're largely technophobe. They're scared of technology. They don't think it's going to work. They a lot of them might still only be progressing on some of the social media platforms or, or mobile phones, for example, or whatever it might be. And, and so how, do you, how does a more traditional franchise make that transition from that's an audience I need to address because they've been loyal to me to I recognize that there's a young viewership that, that I'm not going to find in the same place and how do I, how do I address both sides? Whereas eSports doesn't have that issue. eSports has grown up with everything's in the cloud, everything's API-driven, the audience understand that there's no there's no issues around technology. In fact, they expect that from technology. They ex just expect more and more from the technology, and, uh, and and there's no inhibitors. There's no there's no blockers to to rolling technology on. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. But I don't think I don't think it's a transition. I think it's a fork. They have to continue to do what they're doing for their loyal fan base that is now aging because you're right they're never going to change they're never going to watch a hockey game on their phones on their way to work or whatever it is but that's what the young generation is going to do so it's almost like that they have to do both to be able to please both sides i don't think transitioning from traditional cable and how they've done it in the past to ott streaming is the answer i think it's probably a combination of both and what that looks like. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how those traditional sport organizations tackle that because you're exactly right. That's a huge problem. Um, moving on to another big trend that we saw this year, um, which is virtual reality. So we saw this on a couple different from a couple different angles. Uh, the first is kind of the performance or training side of it. Um, so companies like Strive VR, um, who are developing specific training programs um, for hockey, we've seen some rolled out in the NFL for football, um, and they're helping players train without the physical um, impact that it has on their bodies. Um, do you want to speak to that at all? 
definitely. I, I think it's again. I think it's just a natural extension of something that 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 we've always wanted to do. Uh, athletes have always wanted to visualize it. For example, I mean, there, there's all sorts of applications to what the virtual reality can do, whether it's performance training, rehabilitation training, whatever it might be. But if you think of an environment where, for decades now, forever, athletes have been trying to visualize the competitive environment. So whether you're a high jumper, or whether you are a Formula One driver, or whether you're a Tour de France cyclist, or whether you're a Kona triathlete as you are, how, why do you, it doesn't make sense anymore to put in the hours and hours and hours of training without actually visualizing where you're going to be competing. So if you're going to be on the track in Kona, why not do hours and hours and hours of training on the track in Kona? It's, it obviously is, is, becomes a clear competitive advantage if you can do that over any of your competitors that can't have access to that, which then raises the question, well, what if now everybody's got access to all of that? So how, well, now where does the competitive advantage come from? And now you start squeezing technology again. So, okay, well, now everybody can ride the Tour de France for 2019. Uh, we can all get out on that track and practice. Um, but the reality is, I mean, <laughs> we're not all going to compete with the elite athletes, but at the elite level, they've all got access to all of the uh, all of the tracks. They've got all of the biometrics. They've got all the wearables attached. They've got the IoT devices on their bicycles. They've, everything is there. So now it becomes really interesting because it a, a data crunching exercise. I mean, who can, who can get, who has the smartest bunch of data scientists? Who can actually aggregate data the best? Who can, who can slice and dice the information in the, with the most insightful questions to get the biggest gain, to gain the, the greatest competitive advantage over the athletes that are all using this work, this, this virtual reality for performance training. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating world. It's just really exciting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And there was an interesting article that we read a while back, we can post it in the show notes, um, about how kind of third and fourth liners in the NFL, they don't get the touches that those first and second stringers get in practice or definitely not in games. Um, so a way for them to get those touches is through a VR headset. So it's not the coach out there, the assistant coaches throwing them passes it's them actually doing it in a vr headset not using any other club resources other than the headset um so it's an effective way for those kind of lower level um still elite but lower level athletes to get to get in that practice time but uh, even, at, even at the even at the elite level then how do you take it beyond um so so even with all that data even having done it 10,000 times, 100,000 times. I mean, we've all seen team and individual sports where the athletes, the individual athletes or the team is choked. Um, so, and, and the choking is often comes down to the ambient environment or the pressure cooker environment of, of whatever, whatever event you're competing in. We've seen it in golf where guys are just about to run away with the tournament and choke going down the 18th. We've seen it in team sports where guys are Five minutes away from winning whatever it is and they and they give up the lead and, and lose so how, technology doesn't necessarily create that ambient environment or, or that, that pressure situation or can it i mean that's going to be the next the next thing. how do you actually create you can recreate a pressure situation and and practice over and over and over again to get it right uh, a, a particular um, whatever you need to do to to accomplish a particular task in sports but how do you not 
create that in an environment where there's actually you're in a stadium of hundred thousand people, or you've got a you've got to chip a golf ball over 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 a water hole onto a very tight green in front of fifty thousand people. You might be on the eighteenth green and millions of people watching you. How do you recreate that in a in a in a performance training environment with virtual reality? So yeah. The, the answers will be there and I'm sure there are lots of people out there working on it already, but it's it's a fascinating technology and sports is really fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we're not far away from that VR training to be, you know, ten thousand, hundred thousand fans blasting in your ear, um, you know, the narration coming in overhead and saying, You're on the eighteenth hole, you know, you've got one putt left and creating that pressure cook envi- environment. Um, so moving on, we you touched on it earlier, but esports. I would argue that esports have hit the mainstream this year in 2018. Um, they have the industry has kind of disrupted the traditional sports industry because it could be said that the esports industry has been taking the young demographic from the sports industry. The esports industry is consuming that millennial generation's time, uh, money, energy, all of it. Can you talk to, when it comes to sports tech, what kind of trends esports is bringing into it and and why you think the industry has been doing so well? It's it's a a macro trend that is not going to go away. Um, 2018 absolutely might have I don't know if you'd call it the coming out year, but it's, 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 it, and whether it's actually even hit mainstream, it is just so enormous um, as an opportunity. Uh, and I think it's having a, an impact across the sports sector in general. I think if you look at the, the discussions that are going on between the esports community and the, and the Olympic community, and whether esports should actually be an Olympic sport or not, and who's got it, and the Olympics saying, well, f- before you join as an Olympic sport, you've got to clean up your act because there's too much violence. And the esports community just saying, well, actually, the Olympic, the esports community movement, um, if I can call it that, doesn't need the Olympic movement to legitimize its industry. It's, it's an industry on its own and it legitimizes itself. So there's, there's just at that level, at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a kind of federation level, it's an interesting discussion. Um, at, a, at a sponsorship level, it, it has. It's having enormous impact, and I believe in 2019 it's going to continue to have enormous impact because there's the non-endemic sponsors out, sitting outside of, outside the esports industry are looking in and, and seeing the opportunities that are going on. As I said earlier, how do you, how do you have one or two individuals running an, an hour or two or three hour streaming process, and half a million people get to that? So some of the some of the big franchises. Uh, Gary North America and globally would, can't get 5,000 or 10,000 people in the stadiums for, for anything. So that's a fascinating dynamic and, and, that, and, and there's no barrier to that because the barrier to that process is an internet connection. So the more people that come online and, and I mean, there's, there's a lot of talk about uh, India coming online as well. And as India come online, there's just going to be just an incredible number of people that are going to start participating participating in esports as well um, so it just it just keeps keeps growing and uh, and I think it really is is I, I don't think it's, it's actually shaken the boots yet of the traditional sporting sector but I certainly what we have definitely seen is 
is uh, interestingly the clever um, uh, well this not clever the, the smarter traditional sports organizations um, are now starting to move into esports so we've seen a lot of ownership um, in the esports sector is actually traditional sports ownership so we've seen a lot of that and I completely expect that that will will continue it's an, it's an absolute no-brainer that if you if you have a traditional sports background if you are a franchise owner if you're if you're an organization owner you have to have some sort of esports strategy in, in your in your longer term play um, otherwise you're going to get left behind and i think uh, there's so many layers to this discussion and another layer down a lot of my generation um, uh, which are just immediately post baby boomers would still look at the space and say those those people aren't athletes that's not that's not genuine sport that's not genuine athletes but I think there's going to be in 2019 there's going to be a growing recognition and awareness that absolutely this is this is genuine sport these are real sports these are real athletes that are training eight ten twelve hours a day they are they're in competitive environments they're under pressure all the time they've got a they've got a team environment just like any other sports environment and uh, and I think 2019 will bring a, a greater collective awareness across all generations and all sectors and that's just going to drive a continued um, growth of, of the esports sector so and as I said earlier when we opened it up because I think our, our bet on that um, is is that that demographic and the age group that are, are participating in and driving the esports sector are going to adopt technology which is going to blow across all, all sectors um, and, and, and our hope is that it will continue to stimulate our environment and the adoption of technology in sports. Absolutely. We had a really interesting conversation with Matt Lowe, who is the VP of Operations at the Gaming Stadium here in Vancouver. Um, we had a great conversation with him, I believe it was episode three, about the legitimacy of esports and the whole notion that individuals from the traditional sports world you know, don't respect esports athletes and don't necessarily think it's a sport. Um, so if you're interested in that kind of conversation and that angle, go check out episode three. Um, so in both traditional sports and esports, wearables have have become a major trend in training, in game performance, in competition performance, um, which is great. But all of this comes with a ton of athlete data collection. So these wearable companies are collecting tons and tons and tons of athlete data. And it's kind of now starting to hit the forefront that this could potentially be an issue um, because there's lots of issues around ownership, what they're actually doing with the data, how they're storing it, privacy, security, all of that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Many and varied. <laughs> so I, I think the, um, again, it's a, it's a fascinating subject because I, I, I have been amazed at how poor, quite frankly, the data collection has been, even though there are data privacy and data security issues at an athlete level and at organizational level, I'm, I'm, the, the, the fundamental thing for me in the first place is that in a traditional sports, take a rugby, take a soccer, take a whatever it might be, I'm, I've been, and 
through the course of 2018 and the research we've been doing, I've been horrified, quite frankly, at how poor some of the data collection has been. And not just, not, not around athlete data, just there isn't, it's completely fractured, it's completely siloed, there's no structure to it, there's no thought to it. And that's understandably, that's an environment where a lot of these organizations were built over the course of the years where a lot of information was always on paper or in books or you know, not in, or on spreadsheets more, more recently. And not everything was, was well organized in a, in a kind of a cloud solution. So the data doesn't all reside in the cloud. In the esports world, it seems to be perpetuating, unfortunately, and, and it's not because the data is not in the cloud. All the data is in the cloud, but I just think there's so much going on in the esports world. It's, it's as the esports people, as Matt and, and everybody's told us, uh, I've heard multiple people that have been in the esports world for many years tell us it's the Wild West. And I think this goes through to um, the lack of structure and lack of organization around around data and data security and data privacy and, and in the esports world it's not so much about the data not being available i just think it's it's through a lack of planning a lack of forethought because there's so much else going on while the industry's standing up so no one's actually thinking how should we actually aggregate this information how can we better plan to get better structure around this organization and how do we think through it how do we think it through from a from a different lens maybe from the athlete's lens from the sponsor's lens from a fan's lens from a team owner's lens, and, and it's all there, it just needs some structure. But I, I, my analogy is, if in a former background, we spent a lot of time around ERP and, and accounting products, and, and there we built a business intelligence product, and a lot of that, the gap in that market for us, the opportunity for us to build a business intelligence and analytics products was because ERP and accounting uh, vendors always build their general ledger and they build the different modules that they need, they need for ERP and accounting to obviously provide their solution to their customers and business intelligence or data and, and, the, and the analysis of data is always an afterthought and to me I'm seeing the same thing going on here it looks like exactly the same thing is going on there's just amazing games being published there's amazing um, um, there's just incredible uh, lots of stimulating solutions that are available for fans and for, for people engaged in the sport. But when you look under the covers, it's not organized in any way around data structure. Not, it's a sweeping generalization that's unfair on everybody, but just generally it doesn't seem that there's been a lot of forethought on what the ultimate solution should be around. And that cuts specifically to the athletes. So we, we, we've seen in our research, and I, and I completely expect this to continue to do, 229 we've we've seen um, um, issues around non-compliance in contracts non-payment of contracts those types of things and, and uh, you know I, I it's that's the type of thing that we hopefully will be involved in helping to address but it's something that really the industry should be leading and we've had we've had time and time again um, people have said to us there, there would be a, it would be great to find a way to um, place a price on the head of or create a value for an esports athlete call it league of legends csgo whatever it might be how do you create a value on an athlete and that's not all the, the athletes activity is all there and specifically that people have been asking us questions around how do you create a um, value of an athlete around their in-game performances which is all there because it's it's tracked with the publisher and then their social media platform or what is their presence what does their footprint look like 
and then some of the more intangible things like um, teamwork, like teamwork or, is is, yeah. is the guy a douchebag, uh, and would they would the person fit in with our team or not? And if you had an index or a combined index of those three indices, uh, that would be very valuable. And so it's not it's not a it's not a massive leap to get there. And then you bring in the wearables. You bring in you bring in some. And I've seen some fascinating stuff being built as well. Just recently, I saw a headset um, that if if the esports athlete is wearing that, they're going to track all sorts of of um, personal biometrics on that individual. So if you bring in the in-game activity and you bring in the social footprint and you bring in the softer skills around um, the intangibles of the individual personality, and you bring in some of the biometric stuff, which can come from all of these wearable devices, there's an unbelievable array of information that you can aggregate around a particular athlete. But but there's no disputing that the, that the, the athlete, you need to see it through the athlete's lens, and it, does the athlete want that information shared? Who owns that information? And that's, that's something in which I think we're at a moment in time now, which it's a, it's, it's a great conversation, there's no clarity on it right now, um, but people are driving for clarity around those conversations, and I think in three, five, well certainly ten years time we'll look back and, and kind of laugh about those days when we couldn't really ascertain exactly where the data resides and who owns it and all of those type of things. I think that will be gone and forgotten, but, but it's, we're in that process right now that we have to answer those difficult questions. Yeah, you touched on a number of the challenges within the athlete data collection kind of problem. Um, you know, you said it r exactly right. The wearable companies are collecting all kinds of fascinating data that is super, super useful, potentially right after the game or even in the second that that player, that that data is being collected. But it's the matter of what is done after the fact and, and who owns it after the fact and how it's being secured after the fact. And then the, your other point about all of these different data sources just not talking to each other um, is a really interesting one and, and something that we'll hopefully see resolved. Um, this kind of conversation lends itself nicely to what we're doing at STG uh, with our Smart Athlete Management or SAM platform. Can you talk to that platform and tell us why you started it, where all of this athlete data collection and all of these trends that we've seen over the last year, where all of that fits in to our SAM platform? Sure. So, uh, so it started, I'd have to share a little bit about what I did previous to Sports Technology Group just to give it some backstory. But so, so I was involved with a couple of blockchain projects. Um, I got involved in, in Canada's first listed blockchain company and, and we, we were involved in a couple of very interesting projects there. One was an interbank settlement project, interbank, um, uh, yeah, interbank settlement project that we did with uh, a couple of banks in Europe. And, and the pain point there was really just around the, the, the lengthy process it takes to transfer money across borders. Uh, and, and that issue in, 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 the, in the process of managing that project, we took that down from days, days in time saving to kind of, or days in the process it would normally take down to seconds, um, so saved days. And, and then subsequently we built a, another project in the energy sector, which was kind of an asset trading platform. And the pain point there was that 90% of their trades were mismatched. So there's a, there's a reconciliation problem there. And, and so it was involved in, I was involved in a couple of different projects, which at, at, 
in the very early days when we when people were we were all still discovering what these blockchain solutions, distributed ledgers, whatever you want to call them, would, would do or would mean to organizations. Um, and and but through that process we spoke to organizations in financial services, energy, healthcare, shipping, retail, logistics, uh, you name it, everybody was kind of saying, well, how's this going to influence us and, and what is the impact on our organization and how should we how should we adjust or how should we how should we think about this in our strategic planning framework? And so consequently I um, I could see the transformation happening in other sectors and and that's when we started Sports Technology Group because as a as a former sportsman myself and, and a passion um, for sports uh, and obviously with a passion for technology, my two greatest passions in life, sports and technology, that's where we put it together. And but the challenge is whether you, you Sports organizations are not interested in block, quite rightly, they're not interested in blockchain technology and they're not interested in, in distributed ledger technology. It doesn't really matter to them. It's more a case of is there a use case um, and and is there a pain point that we can resolve using this underlying technology? Because our perspective is we live very much beyond the hype of blockchain. It's just there's a new breed of databases out there and whatever solutions that you build have to accommodate the fact that there's old types of, not old, there's existing types of databases and there's a new breed of databases and depending on your use case or what you what solution you're trying to build, you can elect to use one or other type of database. Um, so, and and for us it doesn't matter, I mean, the, the analogy I use is, is um, you know, last time you used, for example, Uber, ride-sharing app, or Lyft, or whatever it might be, you didn't kind of get out the car and look at the app and say, well, that was a really cool experience, it must have been using a SQL database. You, you know, no one thinks like that, or no one, um, because no one really cares about the underlying plumbing. Um, and that's really the perspective we've taken on on, um, on what we're doing with our Smart Athlete Manager. It's, we, we had a look at the process that goes on between the entire ecosystem actually within sport, whether it's fans, um, uh, scouts, medical service providers, auditors, um, but specifically between the agent, the athlete, and, and the club. And there's just an unbelievably messy, cumbersome, crunchy, clunky process that's that's gone on there forever, which is just paperwork flying all over the place, heaps of disputes, just... just um, a crazy process which is which was ripe for transformation and ripe for digitization to be quite frank so we looked at that space and thought okay well, let's let's take that process of looking for an athlete and um, managing it within this within the context of a salary cap and making an offer and sending the offer and signing the, the contract let's digitize that whole process and that's where our smart athlete manager came came about and and we use it. We, we can use a mixture of technology at, 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 on the back end, but as I said earlier, doesn't that doesn't really matter for the sports organisation? Uh, what matters for the sports organisation is what we've identified, or what we hope matters for the sports organisations, is they recognise that we've identified a pain point in their in their world, which is this drowning in paperwork, which is with redundant workflows, and we've digitised that and, and made it a very simple process now for them, um, and using technology which. Uh, happens to be modern and and some of the latest cutting-edge technology that's available on the market but at the end of the day it's just it's it's a solution on the front end which we provide we believe provides them a return on the investment and, and saves them a whole heap of time so that's how, how we got involved in the process but we think 
now that we are where we are, we can add enormous value to the entire ecosystem because that's what this modern technology does. It allows you to transfer information and value very easily around the ecosystem, which is currently very difficult to do. Yeah, well, I mean, that's really what we've been working on for the better part of a year now. So if you're interested in more learning more about our Smart Athlete Manager platform, you can sign up for a demo on our website or find all of our contact details there. Can you tell us why you decided to build this product now and not five years ago and not in five years from now? Why, why now? Why 2018, 2019? Yeah, very good question. So I'd say, I'd say why not five years ago? Because I don't believe... I mean, this, what, what we're suggesting we are doing now, there's elements of it we could have, we could have done previously with the, the, the technology that existed at the time. Um, but it would have been a lot more difficult uh, to do it the way that this, these, um, the way the blockchain technology has emerged, and the way we can apply it. Just it's 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 a much easier process for us to apply, and especially now as all the um, blockchain protocol layers become more interoperable, it's just it's just going to become much easier for us to transfer value and information around this this sport ecosystem. So. I think five years ago it would have, wouldn't have been relevant as relevant as it is now. Why not 2023? That's a good question because there's still probably an argument for us to be too early to be so niche, and there's an argument that the the technology that we are deploying is not fully baked yet, which is a valid argument, and, and everybody's aware of that. But I think that's I think that is um, I think that's been resolved. I think the 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 key people, some of the smartest minds in the world are working on, on some of the protocol layers. Much like the early days of the internet where standards were being created, the same thing is happening around um, blockchain technology as well. And so, so that, that would it be better in 2023? Probably yes, because everything's matured by then. But at the same time, then the, the other question would be, would the opportunities still be available? Would someone else be doing this? And I, and I think the answer would be yes as well. So, so I, I, you know, it's... Life and, and all these things are always about timing. We elected to do it now just largely because of what we saw in other sectors, what we saw in financial services, what we saw in energy, what we saw around retail, logistics, shipping, supply chain. You can see the transformation happening there and you can see actual projects that provide value to organizations. So um, we, we have taken the bet that it's coming to sports and, and we want to be a, part of the, be a part of that transformation. And I think part of it is... We really looked at, when, when we looked at Sports Technology Group as a whole, before we really focused in on, on the Smart Athlete Manager uh, platform that we're building, we really took a 10-year view on, on the sports horizon. Uh, it's kind of a 2018 to 2028 view. And when we, when we started the process, um, to, um, the LA, LA, Los Angeles has already been awarded the LA Games for 2028. And if you think about it, where we are now, 2019, um, they, they've still got nine years to go to plan. Um, they're going to be used, I, I'm convinced that they will use technology in 2028, which we haven't thought of yet, which nobody's thought of yet. Um, and, and, but, if you, but if you think of everything that is available, everything we've already spoken about, IoT, VR, AR, um, uh, all, the, all the technology that's available today and progressive by 10 years at the LA Olympics, it's going to be stunning it's going to be just absolutely mind-blowing what's available. 
for the people that are in the stadium and for everybody globally that's watching the event. So, uh, you know, is, is, is the why not five years ago, why not 2023? I, I hope in 2023 I'm still alive and can look back and say, well, <laughs> that was a good decision in 2018. Um, I, I, yeah, sometimes as entrepreneurs we, we take these bets and, and, uh, and only the fullness of time will tell whether it was a good decision or not. Amazing. Well, I think that's a good note to uh, cap off cap off on. Um, we've got we've had a pretty exciting year, and I think the next year, twenty nineteen, is going to be even more exciting as we see some of the trends that we talked about progress and some new trends uh, start and get going. Um, Gary, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. We thank really you. appreciate it. Where can our listeners find you on social media? Uh, I think the best place would probably be just find me on LinkedIn. I'm Gary Boddington on LinkedIn or mail me at gary.boddington at sportstech.io or otherwise all of the, the normal, just go straight to sportstech.co and uh, you'll find every, all of our social feeds there. Just join us there, please. Perfect. Thanks so much, Gary. Thank you. Next time on The Gage, we are joined by the Olympian, lawyer, and International Association of Athletics Athletes Commission Rep, Inaki Gomez, to explore the world of anti-doping and how technology can help. See you next time.